So as we enter 2022, let's not just be satisfied with resolutions, all these uh, copy-paste resolutions that we do every year that people say every year, but let us truly commit to obeying God's voice in our life no matter what. So as I was praying about what to share with you guys this morning, it was so crazy. You know, it's, a, it's crazy when God answers a prayer or he answers a question for you and how fast that can happen. It is really, really neat. If y'all haven't experienced that, I, I dare you to try it. Just ask God a question. Brandon shared me a testimony with me one time recently how he just asked God a question and bam, the answer just hit him. And it, it's, I've, I've experienced that so many times and I've actually had like conversations with God where one question leads to another question leads to another question and I genuinely had nothing going into it. But then I started asking God questions and all of a sudden the whole picture comes together. I mean, how miraculous is that? So anyway... I was asking God, like, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? I mean, there's a gazillion things you could preach out of the Bible. What do you do? What do you want to say to your people this morning? And as soon as I asked him that question, I heard in my mind, obedience is better than sacrifice. And I had to go do some research. Because probably I've all heard that saying. But I wanted to really get the meat of what that meant and what he was trying to say. So he brought me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. So I want to actually read to you the entire chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 15. And if you don't know this story, this is a story when Saul rebelled and the Lord rejected him. One day Samuel said to Saul, let's see if we're on the same page. Okay, we're good. One day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have, to, I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Talaim where there were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Kenites, Move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Good job. <laughs> Get out of Dodge, quick. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless and of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I have ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. We've heard God say something like that before, huh? When he was sorry that he ever even made mankind. When they all rebelled and then he flooded the earth and destroyed it all. 
Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. Saul's in a great mood. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all this bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear? Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and goats and cattle, Saul admitted. But they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. And we have destroyed everything else. Saul's got it all figured out. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. And I'm sorry, I read that like Samuel was saying it. What did he tell you? Saul asked, because Saul's in a great mood, right? He probably thinks he's getting a big fat blessing for his great accomplishments, right, for God. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everything else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice them to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted, he's busted. He admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Now he's making excuses. But now, please forgive my sin. He just wants his problems to go away. And come back with me so I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. Who was that? King David. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not a human that he should change his mind. Then Saul pleaded again, I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people, and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with him, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring Agag to me. Agag arrived full of hope, for he thought, surely the worst is over, and I have been spared. But Samuel said, as your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went home to Ramah, and Saul returned to his house in Gibe- at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel never 
went to meet with Saul again, and he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul king of Israel. Isn't that incredible? I had to read the whole chapter. Forgive me for, for that, but I had to read the whole chapter. There's so much detail in there. I won't even get to talk about, but I want you all to have the whole, the whole picture there. In this, in this story of Saul, what I want to open up to talking with you all about is that sacrifices can be okay, but they're not enough. In this story of Saul, he offered sacrifices as a way to make himself feel better and to cover up his rebellion. To anyone else besides Samuel and God, Saul would have been looking great. Look at this victorious king offering sacrifices. I mean, this is amazing, right? Saul's great. Saul acted religious, but his heart had turned away from God, and this was proved by his disobedience. You know, when we look at this thing of offering sacrifices, we obviously don't offer sacrifices like they did back then, but that was something that was good, and it was right according to the law and according to what God had established for Israel to do. And so it was a good thing that he was um, offering sacrifices. It wasn't a bad thing, but he was able to do that, but still be in complete rebellion. Do you see that? And there's things that we do today that look like offering sacrifices, that, that look like what it would have looked like back then when somebody looked very religious, very obedient, very reverent for the Lord. And they're over there offering their sacrifices, bringing their lambs. And you look, you're like, wow, they're, they're good. They're great. But inside, look at Saul. He was, rebellion is as bad as witchcraft, the Bible says. He was stubborn and rebellious. He was full of himself. He was erecting a monument to himself. You see? And so, but he could still offer sacrifices. So what that shows us is, that there's things that you can do. If you were back then, you'd have been offering sacrifices today, and they look like showing up to church. Today, it may look like reading your Bible, sticking perfectly to your reading plan. Today, it may look like a, a variety of different things. But some of those things can be done ritualistically and without the right heart. And your heart could actually be full of rebellion and witchcraft, and you could still have your hands up on Sunday mornings. Never missing a small group, serving in nursery, serving in children's church, serving when we have outreaches, and yet our hearts could be corrupted. And there's many places in Scripture, many places, that warn us of this. And not just to not be like this, but don't even associate with people who are like this. In Hosea 6.6, he says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Psalms 51, 16 through 17. You do not desire, this is King David writing this. He understands that he gets it. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. In that moment where he was. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And in 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. 
There are ritualistic things that we do that can fool us into thinking that we are pleasing to God. But our disobedience in everyday life proves otherwise. While we can offer sacrifices with or without the right heart, obedience to God's voice requires genuine faith and love for God. Obedience to his voice requires a genuine faith and a love for God. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. In John 14, 15. In 1 John 5, 2 through 4, it's not on your screen. He says, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. Through our faith. See, it's not the practices. It's not the sacrifices. It's not going to church. It's not reading your Bible. That's the problem. It's the heart is the problem. And some people can get that a little mixed up. And they swing to the far side. And they'll stop going to church. Stop reading their Bible. Stop sharing their faith. Stop everything that relates to the practices that we have in the, the practice of our Christian faith, you know. And they'll just abandon the whole thing because they'll say, well, that's just religious works or whatever. I'm not giving my money because that's just works. That's works, you know. And I'm, I want to do faith, you know. And so they'll just do whatever they think God's telling them running around doing that. Because they, they get it mixed up in their head, they think that the actual practice is the problem. The practice isn't the problem. Samuel didn't tell Saul, what are you doing offering sacrifices? You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to obey God. No, the sacrifices is obeying God. You know, the practices that we do in our Christian life is obeying God. That's what God wants us to do. That's why we do that. That's why we gather, because we were told, don't forsake the assembly of the brothers. You know, we do things, we give, we tithe, because God said to tithe. So we are acting in obedience, but a lot of those ritualistic things can be done without the right heart. They can be done on cruise control, if you will. Um, and, and, and I've even heard this, you know, and it's sad, but they, I've heard people say this, like, I feel like a hypocrite going to church when I don't want to be there and I don't feel like being there, so they don't go. That's backwards. That's twisted. That's, that's saying... That's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Does that make sense? Well, you don't do that. That's what the devil wants you to do. Matthew 23, 23 says, this is Jesus rebuking the religious leaders. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. It's like you should offer the sacrifices, yes. You should do some of those things that we do, but don't neglect the more important thing, the love for God, the faith in Him, the obedience to His voice, the justice, the mercy, the heart, everything that flows from a new heart that has been born again in Christ. That's the most important. And it's our faith that propels us to do those good works. It's our faith that continues to offer sacrifices, but in the right heart. Amen? Amen. 
Some good works can be performed with or without faith and for other reasons, which we'll get into. But practices of worship are generally an outward display while obedience is often hidden. Think about this. The outward display of Saul looked great. Even to the most righteous people out there, God's blessing Saul gave him victory over the Amalekites. Don't, don't know that he wasn't supposed to spare Agag, that he wasn't supposed to take things that he wanted. and all. They don't know all of that. In their eyes, Saul's great. And here comes Samuel. Samuel is in the know. <laughs> Samuel's a problem for Saul. God and Samuel knew better. They knew that Saul had disobeyed and rejected God in his heart. It's easy to fool others and even ourselves when the outside of the cup is nice and clean. The religious leaders, they were real good at shining the outside of that cup, making it spotless. And to the whole world and even to themselves, they thought they were so religious and so right with God that their prayers and everything they did was so great. And that's why a lot of times it's easier to offer the sacrifices and do all these things that appear so righteous because everybody sees them and we get this great feeling out of it and we get the praise of people. And then spiritual pride kicks in, spiritual ambition kicks in, and you got a fireball. You got a fireball inside of you that needs to be put out. And you, you, you can get out of control and, and God will reject you if you're full of that. Like the religious leaders were rejected and like Saul was rejected. This is partly when Jesus starts to describe how the least now will be the greatest then. And the greatest now will appear. The, the, the appeared greatest will be the least then. Because if the curtain could be pulled back after Saul's victory, he'd have been the least of the least. He'd have been worse than the worst murderer, prostitute out there in the land of Israel. While all the people are praising Saul's name. Saul appeared the greatest. He's really the least. God is looking for obedience. He's looking for an obedient heart. In this story of Saul, the second thing I want to cover with you guys is that it's obedience that is what God wants. Obedience is what God wants. In this story of Saul, God had a plan long ago. Y'all going to love this. God had a plan long ago to settle accounts with Amalek. This was not a spur-of-the-moment thing for God. First Samuel, first I want to remind you of when Saul got his original command. First Samuel 15, 2-3, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. There is a lot of history between Israel and Amalek. You know, you hear Amalek, and it's just another one of those Amalekites, ites, you know, they're like all these ites. It's like a hundred of them. You lose track of them all. But Amalek had a lot of history with Israel. First of all, Amalek was a descendant of Esau and despised Jacob's lineage. Just like 
Esau despised Jacob. Now we know they kind of made up there, but that offense carried down Esau's line through the nation of Amalek. And Amalek, when Israel was first delivered from Egypt, which was one of the most powerful nations on earth, God did all of that miraculous stuff to deliver the nation of Egypt, get them free of the Egyptians, destroy the nation of Egypt in the Red Sea, the, the army, and then the Amalekites of all people think they have the nerve to come and fight Israel as they're coming out. I mean, women, children, they're traveling through. They're not an army. And Amalek thinks they're going to come and destroy the Israelites, the, Jacob's lineage. Exodus 17, 14. You know what happened? Don't read that yet, please. Hold on. Look at me. Um, you know what happened? This is the battle when Moses' arms were raised. And as long as Aaron and Hur held up his arms, because his arms were so tired, he couldn't hold up his own arms. As long as his arms were raised, Israel defeated Amalek. But when his arms would start coming down, Amalek would start defeating Israel. So they held his arms up until Israel completely defeated Amalek at that time. And that was the first opposition that Israel faced when they came out of Egypt. And then, after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it out loud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Many years later now, Israel is a nation and has a king, and he commissioned Saul to be the instrument to go fulfill that promise, to erase the memory of Amalek from the earth. And we see things like killing babies and sheep and goats. God didn't even want someone to say that sheep was an Amalekite sheep. He didn't want the name Amalek on the earth or the memory of it. That was the purpose. Because from that could spring up a whole new lineage of offense and opposition to God's people. After Saul's disobedience, Amalek continued to be a problem. Go figure. He spared their king. He spared the best of what they had. Like, imagine this, right? You're an Israelite. You're going through the nation of Israel. And you're like, man, wow, that's a nice sheep. That's a nice goat. That's a nice donkey. Wow, that's a nice robe you got. All of that stuff is Amalekite stuff. All the nicest stuff we got is from Amalek. Wow. That's a whole lot of memory of Amalek that's existing on the earth. And that was all because of the pride and the lust of Saul and his men to keep that stuff after God said destroy it. Guess who was a descendant of the Amalekite king Agag? Haman, the man who tried to destroy the entire Israelite nation. And Esther, God used Esther, raised up Esther to deliver his people again from the Amalekites. So you can see when we are disobedient, we can allow God, I'm sorry, we can allow enemies to continue to plague our lives, to plague other people's lives, you know, all because of our disobedience. Obedience is doing God's idea and God's agenda 
and bringing it to fulfillment. God wants to accomplish his will on the earth through you, through me, through his servants. He always uses servants. He's always using somebody. Even if he parts the Red Sea, obviously nobody could do that but God. But he used Moses to raise a staff. You know what I mean? He used angels to deliver messages. He used people all the time. He, he moves through people. He moves through his creation. He does things through you and through me. And it's our obedience or our disobedience that allows his will to come through. If Saul would have obeyed, the Amalekites would have been destroyed and the book of Esther wouldn't have existed. Now we see God use that. God used Saul's disobedience. God used a king that he wished he didn't even make king. But he still did it. Saul's problem was that he had his own agenda. And he, his agenda was win a battle, collect the plunder. Be awesome. <laughs> and have a statue to remind everybody how awesome I am. This is going to be great. My legacy is going to live on forever. God is looking for those who will have a heart that says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can quote the scriptures, y'all. Seek God's kingdom first, then all these things will be added unto you. Seek God's will in all you do, and then he will direct your paths. And how all things work together for those who, are, who love God and are called according to his purpose for their life. It's all about connecting to God with a heart of obedience that is from faith and love for God and then allowing God's will and his plan and his agenda to take place in your life and in other people's lives around us. That little thing that we blow off, that we whatever, put it off, is legitimately a dam that is blocking up all of God's will all of God's purpose, all of his blessing from your life because you can't get past step one obedience. Just do that. Just do that. It doesn't matter if it's a small thing. We got to practice being obedient and, as, and take advantage of the small opportunities as little bite-sized opportunities to take a step forward in our relationship with God and allow it, and putting our flesh down our flesh is hostile to God. So, think, just, just think about it, okay? God has a God, big God, huge plan, huge agenda, huge awesomeness, right? He's just so awesome, I'm telling you. It's, it's unbelievable. We have no clue. And he's trying to come through little bitty you and little bitty me. But a lot of us are just focused on getting blessed and sitting back and sipping on a pina colada. Non-alcoholic pina colada, <laughs> which I did in, in uh, Jamaica on our honeymoon. I was like, let me get a pina colada, no alcohol. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> so our life, it's not just about being blessed so we can go hop on our recliner and watch Sunday night football. Not that we can't do those things, but that's not what life is all about. It's not just about doing you. And fulfilling all of your heart's desires. But if you do God and you allow yourself to fully commit yourself to God, 
man, you ain't got to worry about a single desire, promise, blessing. You don't have to, you're not going to miss, you're not going to have a single regret in your entire life. And you can take that to the bank. I don't care where you bank. So I want to finish with this second point, but how do we know what God wants? How do we know his plan, his agenda? How do we get a command from God? Sometimes, though, before we even get there, we'll be, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us are afraid to ask because we're afraid we're going to be, he's going to want us to do something, be a part of something that we don't want, we don't want to be a part of. We don't want to do that. That means I'm going to have to lose time. I'm going to have to lose money. I'm going to have to lose something. You know, I'm going to have to sacrifice something. I don't want to do that. But how do we find out what he wants? Obviously, in prayer, when we talk to God, just like I ask God, what do you want to share? You know, the Spirit's leading in our life. You know, he has a masterful way of opening doors, closing doors, giving you a sense of peace about something. And you just have this sense of, rightness like this is right even if it doesn't feel great once you settle on what you know is right and you know it's God you're actually really okay with whatever struggle there may be to to do that because it's just something so pleasant about knowing God's will so that that's the Holy Spirit leading us in spiritual leadership remember we are a flock a spiritual flock we're not a bunch of Saul's erecting statues to ourselves in the spirit, thinking that we're all that because we prayed with somebody to accept Christ or we got a disciple going or we memorized 18 verses of the Bible, you know, or we've never missed a Sunday in 20 years, you know. Forget all that. God has placed us in a local church that we're a part of a flock and he's given us spiritual shepherds to help guide us and to know what to do, what his will is for our life. There's counsel, there's wisdom there. And another, the last part I want to highlight is like filling a need. You know, if, you're, if you want to know what God wants you to do, you can look around and see a need. And, and the Holy Spirit will sort of convict you and sort of give you a burden in your heart to fill that, to help fill that need. And that's another way that God, His Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. Remember, the goal is not to have the best life ever and sip a pina colada. It's not. I know that sounds great. And you will get to sip a pina colada, I promise. But you're going to be doing God's work. You're going to be doing his will. He's going to be accomplishing things through your life that have eternal consequences. Saul had no idea how big of a mess up that was. He should have never done that. Um, so he wants to do his work through us, and then he wants to bless you for your obedience. And that's what I want to finish with on here today is blessings for obedience. Look, y'all, this is so cool. This is so cool. Y'all have to get this. When you do what God tells you to do, and then his work gets done, Remember, that can often be a hidden thing, right? But it's not hidden to God. God very well knows your obedience. He knows exactly what you had to sacrifice to be obedient. 
He knows exactly how much fear you had to overcome. He knows exactly how much faith you had to use. And to the measure that you obeyed, he's going to reward. And there's not an ounce of sacrifice. What did, I think it was Jesus who said, anyone who gives up, yeah, it was Jesus. When Peter, I think, said, we've given up everything to follow you. And he said, anybody who's given up, house, mother, brother, father, he listed a bunch of stuff. If you've sacrificed any of these things to follow me, to be obedient to me, that person is going to get a hundred times what they sacrificed. And some of that stuff's really precious to us. That's hard. But God said, I'm going to give you a hundred times. That's, I'm going to bless you so bad, so hard, so much. I'm going to bury you in blessings. There's going to be a hundred of those on top of you. You're not going to be able to breathe. I'm going to embarrass you how much I bless you. You're going to be like, I'm so rich. I don't know why. It's terrible. Y'all don't look at me. I didn't do it. I didn't earn it. I promise. God just blessed me. I don't like stop, Lord. God wants to show off who he is and how awesome he is through his obedient servants. He gets to do what he wants to do in the earth. And then he gets to say, you see this person? See how they gave me glory? See how they shared the testimony? How they were obedient? Now look what I do to them. And tell me there's not a God behind that person telling them what to do and backing them up with every step. Amen? Amen? He wants to burst your bubble with blessings so that the world is like, oh my goodness, I want that. Oh my goodness, there is a God. I love sharing the testimonies that we're experiencing right now with our house being built in the miraculous way it's coming together. And I am the first one to tell you that we don't deserve any of it. But every neighbor, every utility worker, every contractor that we share with is like, wow, that's incredible. There must be a God. Like, how do I argue with that? These people, they just love Jesus, and all this miraculous stuff is happening all around them. That's a way that God brings himself glory. That's what I want y'all to see. So if you want to experience this blessing of God, you got to essentially unlock it through your obedience. And your disobedience will lock you up. And you'll be not having that favor, not having that blessing of God on your life. And guess what? There's a whole chapter of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 28, which I'm going to read some of that in a little bit, that dedicates itself just to tell you all the blessings that you can get from obedience and all the curses that you can get from disobedience. And then you get to choose which one you want to be. But when we're obedient, we get to have confidence. And I love that. We get to have confidence that when we pray, we're going to get what we ask for. We get to have confidence that no matter how bad it looks around us, God's going to work it out. It's going to be good. I don't know how. The bills are stacking up, but God's done it before, and we're obedient, and he's going to do it again. Amen? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful, the Bible says. Our righteousness, and I have this on your screen, our righteousness is based on our faith, right? It was Abraham's faith that made him righteous. God called him righteous because of his faith. And that same faith is demonstrated in our love for God, and our love for God is demonstrated by our obedience to Him. 
And those characteristics in your life, that obedience is the, is the portal, if you will, the outlet that God is going to use to bless your life for His glory, for His purposes, not just so that we can sit on a beach somewhere and sip a pina colada, which God will let you sip on a pina colada, I promise. You'll get your pina colada. But God's also going to get a lot done, amen? Deuteronomy chapter 28, I'm closing with this, verses 1 through 14. This is just the blessings. I'm sparing y'all of all the curses of disobedience because I feel like y'all don't want to be disobedient, but I don't know. If you think you might want to be disobedient, go read Deuteronomy, the second half of chapter 28, and, and then make your decision. But this is the blessings. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children, your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter from you in seven. I love that. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he is giving to you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to these commands of the Lord, your God, that I am giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will always be on top and never at the bottom. You must not turn away from any of the commands I am giving you today, nor follow after other gods and worship them. Amen. Y'all can bow your heads this morning. So what are we going to do? I say as we enter this new year and we're thinking about what we'd like to do right, better. I say that we won't be satisfied with a religious display. But that we would commit ourselves wholeheartedly to hearing God's voice. And then being obedient to his voice no matter what. No matter how small. No matter how scary. No matter how much it costs. No matter what it costs. So I want to ask you this morning. How is your obedience to God? Obedience, remember this. Obedience is a litmus test of our love for God. And true faith in Him. We may think that we're good. And the devil will tell you you're great. But if we're harboring disobedience in our heart unforgiveness if we're harboring 
the things that God says, don't be like that, don't do that. You know, and if we're not allowing him to do what he wants to do through our life, then we're really proving that our love for God, if it's there, it's very minimal. Or we just love what he gets us or what he does for us, and we don't really love him. We're just looking for our next thing. Are there areas in your life that you don't want to talk about with God because you know he might want you to do something that you don't want to do? Are there areas in your life right now, some of those small things that you know that you're being disobedient in? The Bible says that it's the small foxes that ruin a garden. The devil wants you to get, wants to get you to compromise on those small things because he knows how important they are. He knows how small things lead to big things. Small obedience can lead to big, big blessings from God. Don't sell yourself short. It doesn't matter even if it's just some insignificant thing. But you just know in your heart that this is what God wants me to do. Do it. And don't let anything stop you.